This is Dennis Ramundi. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg. Our podcast, Spirit Matters, found at spiritmatterstalk.com. Our guest today, Mr. Isha Das, uh, formerly Craig Bullock. He is an accomplished teacher, writer, lecturer, and practicing psychotherapist and co-founder and spiritual director of the Assisi Institute in Rochester, New York, a former pastoral administrator at the churches of St. Peter's and Paul in Rochester. He has a graduate degree from the University of Notre Dame and, and actually another graduate degree from the University of Duquesne. Uh, thank you so very much, Isha, for taking the time to come on with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure to be with you. Isha Das, um, we've been uh, looking forward to this. Uh, I personally, having spent some time with you, um, and uh, mainly to uh, explore St. Francis and the interesting connection between him and the Yogananda lineage that you've made at uh, your Assisi Institute. Let's begin with your own personal spiritual background, if you could do that briefly, and how you came to the work you're doing now. Sure. Um, I was raised Roman Catholic, and I was, my family was very devout. And um, when I was about 16 years old, had a very profound spiritual experience that changed the trajectory of my life. But to make a long story short, it was about that time that, that I... Time that I to make a long story short, it was about that time that I first read a biography of Francis of Assisi, and to put it in simple terms, I fell in love with Francis. I fell in love with the whole Franciscan spirituality. So it, it kind of got imprinted on me at a very early age, and it's I would, as I say to people, it's kind of in my DNA. Mm -hmm. If I could ask... Uh, <clears throat> I also grew up Roman Catholic, and I have some familiarity with St. Francis of Assisi and the Franciscan uh, brothers and, and priests <clears throat> that, uh, that, and nuns that make up that order. And a big part of it, uh, aside from whatever spiritual practices, is, uh, is service, uh, yes. especially service to those in need. Uh, in your, um, your other spirit, your, your spiritual more Eastern spiritual side uh, you, from uh, your study of the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and your commitment to that tradition, <clears throat> uh, was that, uh, that, that sense of service uh, found on uh, both East and West for you? Yeah, and, and let me kind of break it down this way. First of <laughs> all, what, what most people don't realize is that Francis spent half of his time in service and literally spent the other half of his time in some kind of prayer and meditation. So first of all, it's not either or, it's both and. And as I began to explore the whole tradition of yoga, and particularly Kriya Yoga, I, you know, one of the aspects of yoga is karma yoga, karmic yogi, karma yoga rather, and that's all about service. So let me kind of put it together this way. As we go into the silence, as we experience the transcendence, however you want to say it, if, as we experience the divine, our heart opens up and it expands. And as it expands, I think we innately begin to identify with others. We begin to identify with their suffering. 
And no one has to teach us to serve. No one has to teach us to love. It really begins to flow quite naturally. So I think the prayer and the meditation and the silence and the action, they're really flip sides of the same coin. Ishidas, um, tell us how you came to uh, the Yogananda lineage and, or Eastern uh, Indian spirituality in general after uh, your Catholic uh, upbringing and the, uh, the discovery of St. Francis. Sure. Um, there was a period of time where I came close to becoming a Catholic priest. Um, and what I tell people is that I can live without the money, but not the honey. <laughs> Meaning I, I really want to be married at some point. But the desire for that deeper union with the divine, with the absolute, never went away. And I knew that if I entered a monastery, I could probably nurture that. But again, that wasn't where I was being called. So I just had this hunger how do I, as a layperson or in the yogic tradition, how do I, as a householder, um, nurture that desire for oneness, for unity consciousness, for oneness with the divine? And to make a long story short, a, a colleague of mine gave me the autobiography of a yogi, and I read it. It's a thick book if you haven't read it. I read it in two or three days, and then I read it again. Because, A, I, I kind of fell in love with Yogananda, too. But secondly, what Yogananda made very clear was that you don't have to be in an ashram or in a monastery to experience God-realization, that you can experience it as a householder living in the world. And not only that, he kind of set out a program, a process, a path where you can nurture that God union as a householder. So... It met that need in me, but taking it a little bit further, the more I read of Yogananda, I realized that he admired Francis very much himself. In fact, he at one point said that he considered Francis to be his patron saint and one of the unofficial gurus in the lineage. So for me, it was, it was just another level of a homecoming. I got the path, again, fell in love with Yogananda, and I could integrate Francis to my heart's content. So for me, it was a perfect marriage of East and West. <clears throat> uh, Isha, I, uh, you mentioned that uh, Francis would spend half his time in, in, in spiritual practice and half his time in service. Uh, I have been to Assisi. I've been to the monastery of St. Francis. And yes, when you walk in there, and there's no question, there's a very deep feeling of silence. You, you want to sit down, close your eyes, go inward. So that is there very powerfully. Uh, the spiritual practices that you engage in uh, and the spiritual practices that you may know of from St. Francis or, or, or his tradition, uh, are there similarities? Uh, and what, what is your daily spiritual practice? And is it similar to those practices done by the Franciscans or those that uh, have a deep understanding uh, of the teachings of St. Francis? That's a good question. You know, if if we're looking with the right eyes or with the right lens, maybe is the best way of saying that, you begin to see that a lot of these different traditions are teaching very similar practices. So, for example, Francis would sometimes spend all night 
on a mantra. One of his mantras was, who are you, O Lord, and who am I? Um, and he had a few other phrases like that, that he would fall back on Jesus, mercy being one of them. Um, so you begin to see that both traditions make use of a mantra. And what the mantra is, it's a, it's a sacred name, it's a sacred phrase that has a sacred vibration, and you put your, you put your attention on that, that mantra with, with, with your heart, and it takes you into the presence, it takes you into the stillness. So I, I saw that similarity, number one. Number two, what Yogananda and Francis have in common is, you know, Yogananda, yes, he practiced the techniques and Kriya Yoga, but he was also a yogi of great devotion. He, he got to where he, he got to his, that place of God realization in part because of his great love for the divine. Well, if you look at the life of Francis, um, he was a yogi of devotion. So the, some of the techniques are similar in terms of the mantra and placing your mind and having that, that yogic-like focus, laser-like focus on God and on the mantra, but also bringing your heart to it and really speaking to God from the language of your heart, practicing the presence of the divine within the heart. So for me, they, they both were pointing in the same direction. And where there are differences, and there are no essential differences, I see them as complementary differences. Um, Ishidas, we should point out that um, your connection to Yogananda runs through uh, Roy Eugene Davis uh, and his uh, branch of that lineage, uh, and and that Roy, uh, uh, who passed away last year, was one of our guests. Uh, so people can learn about him on our, in our archive. Um, when you were studying with Roy, did he help you sort of make the connection between? Uh, Kriya Yoga, uh, as Yogananda taught it, with St. Francis? Not explicitly, but, but indirectly, yes. And let me, let me put that in a context that, you know, Roy um, is wonderful and as realized as he was, he was, first of all, a very humble man, which always impressed me. Yeah, that, that humility is, is very close to the Franciscan spirit, if I could say it that way. So his humility always blessed me. And secondly, to his credit, and I, I think it's because he wasn't insecure and he was really grounded in a very high state of consciousness, he gave me lots of room to, to integrate these two streams together, um, just as Yogananda gave him a lot of room to, to be Roy. So I think part of Roy's greatness was that, again, he was secure enough in himself and his own realization to allow me to do what I had to do in my path. Um, you know, one of the last conversations I had with Roy before he left his body, you know, I was sharing with him what we do at the Assisi Institute and I, I wanted to know that it was okay with him. You know, I, I wanted his blessing. And he said a number of things that, that blessed me and affirmed me. But in, in Roy's simple kind of wisdom, what he said to me, does it work? Is it working? 
for you and other people? And I said, yes. And he said, then by all means, continue to do that. Continue to pursue the path that you're on. So for me, that was very beautiful that, that Roy, again, was secure enough in himself and open-hearted enough and humble enough to allow a kind of plurality of expression. Mm -hmm. uh, Isha, uh, you mentioned the uh, CC Institute. You're the founder, spiritual director there. Uh, tell us about that institute. And if somebody goes there, do they go there to learn spiritual practices? Do they study uh, uh, the, the philosophy associated uh, with, with uh, Paramahansa Yogananda? What is it exactly that you do there? And, and uh, if somebody cannot attend the institute directly, is there some way to connect with it and, uh, and study online? Yeah, yes. First of all, we really, it's the teachings of, of Yogananda, and then I say with mystical Christianity and even mystical Judaism that really guide us. But everybody's welcome, and we have people at all levels. You know, we have people who have been initiated into Kriya Yoga and are, you know, absolutely devoted to Paramahansa Yogananda. And we have people who come in a more casual sense and it's almost like an AA meeting. I have friends that are recovering alcoholics, and one of the sayings in an AA meeting is take what you want and leave the rest. So um, we have people at all levels, and, and we want it to be that way. We want people to come and to take what they need um, as they need it, wherever they are in their life, without having to justify it or without having to make any you know dogmatic claims to us or claims of loyalty. So, yeah, we, we teach everything from simple spiritual practice to lifestyle to, you know, the more esoteric levels of Yogananda's teachings and so forth. Wherever people are, we want them to fit in and the door is open. And we should point out that you're in, Roch you're in Rochester, New York. Yes. 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 Phil, I wanted to follow up. Snow yeah, Rochester, let me just say this. The Roche Rochester, New York is the snow capital of the United States. We have more I, snow typically than any other metropolitan city in the country. Which is why you're in California right yes, now speaking to us. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask a follow-up question, Phil. Sure. And, that, and that is, so if somebody comes to the Institute and says, hey, look, I want a spiritual uh, 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 practice to take home with me, do you give them uh, Yogananda's lessons? What, what do you give them? Well, we give them Yogananda's teachings, and we certainly give them uh, a variety of yoga. Yogananda had a number of meditation techniques, the Hung Saw, for example, the Om right. technique. So we give them a variety of techniques and tell them to experiment with the techniques and go with the ones that work the best for them. So if somebody comes and they have a, a much more kind of explicit Christian base and and then maybe we will teach them the Jesus prayer, for example, and some breathing techniques. So, yeah, we give people, we try to meet them wherever they are and give them techniques that they will be comfortable with. Most of them are from the Kriya tradition. Um, that's an interesting point. That is, so do you also, before you mentioned that St. Francis used um, yogic-like methods, and yeah. you, you singled out uh, mantra practice. Um, right. Two questions. One, when you uh, you gave us a couple of examples of what you considered mantra-like phrases that Francis used, would that have been in Latin, in Italian, 
uh, or what, A, and do you have any sense of how he used those uh, methods and whether he taught them to other people? That's a great, it's a great question. My, my assumption is, well, Francis' everyday language was Italian. Um, I think he, and he knew Latin in a rudimentary kind of way, but his everyday language would have been the colloquial Italian of his day. So I think a lot of, I think his prayers and his mantras, most likely most of them were in his Italian tongue, first of all. Um, and, and secondly, um, what he, I, I used this phrase before, it's from, from yoga, you know, the razor-like, laser-like focus of a yogi. And again, if you, if you read uh, the life of St. Francis, you can see that he practiced that himself, number one. And he, <clears throat> taught, he taught his followers, his, his friars, his brothers, to no matter whatever they were doing, to keep some part of their mind on God, on Jesus, even while they were engaged in activity, which again is is something that we're taught in yoga. You know, Yogananda said, read a little, meditate more, and think of God always. Well, that's what Francis taught his friars to do and taught other people to do, is, you know, almost like that double attention where one part of their consciousness is focused completely on what they're doing, the other part is focused on the divine within. Uh, can I follow up, Dennis? Sure. You, you also mentioned the Jesus prayer that you, you sometimes uh, yes. recommend that to people. Explain to the listeners what the Jesus prayer is. Yeah. And, and do you do it in English or in the original language? We, well, let me say it, it, it's from about the fourth century um, after, the, after the death of birth and death of Christ. Um, and it is probably the oldest Christian meditation technique and mantra within within Christianity. And it's very popular, particularly in the Orthodox Church, Russian Orthodox Church, um, Greek Orthodox Church. And what you do is you coordinate it with your breath. You focus in the Jesus prayer more on the heart center. Um, and on the in-breath, you just say, Lord Jesus Christ. Brief pause on the outbreath, have mercy on us or on me. And you just repeat that. And after a while, it just becomes, it has its own rhythm. It's like a rhythmic prayer, rhythmic mantra. And I know people who practice that all the time. And they say what happens after a period of time, it's like their spirit or their, their mind is just practicing it even when they are doing other things and engaged. Now, I should say, um, I became aware of it reading J.D. Salinger yeah, uh, right. back, yeah. back in the day. Uh, in Franny and Zooey, he talks about the Jesus Prayer. Right. And it, it's, uh, it shows up in an uh, old Russian book, I believe, called The Way of the Pilgrim. Yeah. Uh, but I'd never heard uh, that it was coordinated with the breath. Is that a, a sort of addition that you gave to it, or is that tradition? Um, no, there, there is a tradition within orthodoxy, orthodox Christianity, and I, I can't think of the, of the Russian name for it off the top of my head. I can think of it, but I'd be afraid to try to pronounce it. 
um, where the breath is is uh, connected to the Jesus prayer. Huh. Interesting. And, yeah, and we and we know, for example, that the word breath in both the Jewish scriptures and the Christian scriptures, the word breath means it means spirit, but it also means wind and air. So that what I tell people is when they when they breathe with awareness, when they connect the mantra with their breath, it just deepens the sense of prayer. Uh, Isha, I have a, a, a question for you, for you in regard to end gold or end golds. In, in Christianity, in Francis's tradition, St. Francis's tradition, uh, the end gold was salvation, heaven. Uh, you know, after the body leaves or finishes on this earth, when one dies, uh, one is done well, one goes to heaven. In Eastern tradition, uh, it's more uh, what takes place even before then. Uh, nirvana, enlightenment. Uh, uh, Yogananda speaks about you know self-realization. Uh, how have you meshed the two? Hi, right. there's a Catholic, a Catholic saint from around the 16th century, Catherine of Genoa, and I love her statement. She says it's heaven all the way to heaven. So, that, so that's number one. That heaven is not a place. It's not a geographical location. It's a state of consciousness. Right, so that we can literally experience heaven, which is oneness with the divine and with all of creation. We can experience that here and now. So let let me introduce a phrase that Yogananda used, but I think it applies to Francis, and that is Christ consciousness. Now, Christ consciousness isn't reducible to Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth was Christ conscious, but Christ consciousness it refers to the presence of God permeating all of creation, every every nook and cranny of creation. And Francis certainly experienced Christ consciousness. He experienced the presence of the divine, you know, all the stories about him and animals and, and lepers, that he experienced that presence of the divine in everything and in all of creation. There's that famous Cantico, brother, son, sister, moon, praising God through creation. So, yeah, even though, you know, if you ask Francis, the historical Francis, was heaven part of the end game? I think he would have said yes. But I also think he would have said that what, what Catherine of, G of Genoa said, that it's heaven all the way to heaven, it's God all the way to God, and that Francis certainly exhibited what Yogananda referred to as Christ consciousness. Interesting. Um People who are familiar or on a cursory level with St. Francis know certain things about him. And I'm curious to know how much uh, the image of St. Francis and his life uh, figure into your teachings when you, when you uh, are working with uh, spiritual seekers. For example, um, he lived, he, he, he grew up in a very affluent home, but after um, becoming the person we think of as St. Francis, lived a very austere life. Um, he also is associated with a love of animals. He's the patron saint of animals or something like that, as I recall. Yes. Also, Do, the also the patron saint of the environment. Right. So how much 
do those elements fit into your teachings about St. Francis? I've been to your home. It is not a cave. (laughs) (laughs) And and, and your your equivalent of St. Clair is a very feisty wife. Who works with you at the uh, at the institute? So <laughs> I'm curious, and I didn't see any animals. Oh, well, maybe there was a pet. But um, <laughs> so I'm I'm just curious how that fits in those sort of elements of brother, you know, that brother son sister moon image. Well, that's very good. Um, let me make this distinction. You know. If, Put a, I want to put a yogic term on Francis for a moment. He was in yogic language what we call a renunciant. He renunciated right. everything, his wealth, and, and embraced a life of radical poverty. Uh, again, I'm not a renunciate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and what I tell householders is that renunciation for the householder is living a simple lifestyle as simple as you can but more importantly it's generosity it's sharing the abundance that god has given us with those that don't have that abundance you know the the goal is not to in a literal sense imitate francis if we did that we would all have to move to assisi and speak italian Um, the goal is to to take the spirit of francis and integrate it into our lives in the here and now. And again, what I what I tell householders is that renunciation for the householder is generosity. That's the first thing. The second thing in terms of your question, how do I relate Francis to people? And it's interesting, I'm writing a book right now on the life of Francis. And it's not just another pious retelling of his life. There's many, many of those. What I'm trying to do is extrapolate what was the structure, the pattern, the map of Francis's transformation, and what can we learn from that? Because in a very general sense, the path is the same. So where I'm, where I'm going with that is the good news about Francis is that he wasn't born a saint. In fact, the first 20 years of his life, 21 years of his life, he was pretty spoiled. He was pretty self-indulgent. We would say today, he was into sex, drugs, rock and roll, and video games. Um, <laughs> so that if, Fran- in fact, a quote from Francis, he said that if God can work through me, he can work through anyone. So part of the, the kind of the, the appeal of Francis was that he was very human. Um, there's even a Thomas of Shalano, who was his companion and his biographer, there's this, this interesting little line. He's extolling all the virtues of Francis and and all of that. And then he just throws in this line. And sometimes Francis was given into moments of great lust and then goes on to talk about all of Francis's virtues. So there, there's just something very human about the person of Francis that I think melts people's hearts. And, and right. if, if I can just fo- uh, follow up a little bit, Dennis, the um, the the. Um... But connection between Francis and the environment, um, it would seem to be an important teaching for uh, modern Christians right now in the, in the age we live in. Do you get into that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, 
first of all, Pope Francis, a few years ago, wrote an encyclical all about the environment and kind of drew part of his inspiration from Francis. And part of why we connect Francis to the environment is, as I said earlier, Francis really was able, from an, an intuitional perspective, to perceive the presence of the divine illuminating everything. He saw that everything was connected and he saw that everything was sacred. I mean, there, there's a silly little story, but it's very telling. Um, he and his followers were traveling down a path and there was a, a worm in the middle of the path. And one of the friars wanted to move the worm and Francis said, no, we will wait for brother worm to, to go his way. He was here first. <laughs> Uh, um, so, you know, Francis just saw the connectedness in everything. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and if we, you know, if we denigrate another person, we are denigrating ourselves. And in a sense, we're denigrating God. And if mm -hmm. we, den and if we denigrate the environment, we are denigrating God and we're denigrating ourselves because it's, it's all connected. You know, God is the ground of it all. God is what sustains it all. And so, you know, I, I think part of the vision of St. Francis that I think particularly Christians have to recover is this sense of God's presence in everything, that everything is one, that we are all one. Otherwise, people in the environment just become objects and once people in the environment become objects, we necessarily damage them. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Isha, I have one final question. We do sure. need to wrap up. And that is that uh, what is the, what, if any, has been the reaction to your teaching, to what you do, to your institute from uh, Catholic uh, priests and nuns uh, and brothers, especially from the uh, Franciscan uh, uh, tradition? Well, from the Franciscan tradition, that's pretty easy because, you know, Franciscans kind of just love everybody. And uh -huh. they are they are kind of the, in a good way, they're the mavericks within the Catholic tradition. So by and large, um, my work and our work has been really embraced by, by the Franciscans. There's a Richard Rohr, who's the Franciscan priest, has been to speak at our center. Uh, there's another Franciscan priest um, who has been to speak at our center. So with the Franciscans and then some Franciscan nuns who have come, it has really been, it's been easy. It's been not a problem at all. Um, there are a couple of Catholic priests who do come to the Assisi Institute occasionally and some nuns. Uh, obviously, they're the more forward-looking ones. Sometimes I've gotten some pushback from the more traditional Catholics, you know, who believe that Jesus is the only way and that somehow... Um, we are worshiping idols, but th that has really been very, very minimal. It, it hasn't mm -hmm. been a big problem. Uh, I have one final question for you, too, uh, Ishidas. Um, in addition to your uh, other credentials, you're uh, a psychotherapist. Yes. How does that fit in with uh, your uh, east-west uh, spiritual uh, orientation? Well, it, it's, you ask you guys ask great questions. Um, <laughs> you know, it's one of the things that this is how I make the connection. Number one, meditation has become so much a part of our culture. 
And even when people who don't practice it, there's a kind of respect that they have for it or an acknowledgement that that's helpful. So one of the things, one of the places where I integrate that in my psychotherapy practice is teaching people mindfulness. Um, if they're a little bit more religious oriented, teaching them meditation and just showing from a scientific perspective the positive effects, the regenerative effects that that meditation has on the brain and the nervous system. So, and what I'm finding is that people are eager for that. They, they, I, I think a lot of people recognize that there's something bigger to them than just their, their brains or their psychological history. And when you begin to open up new possibilities that, again, aren't overly religious or anything like that, I find that they really jump at that opportunity. There's the intuition within them that there's more to them than meets the eye. So meditation and mindfulness is, has been an easy way for me to bridge those two worlds. Very good. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, and again, if anybody uh, wants to find out more about Isha and his work, they can go to assisi.flowercity. Uh, Web, no, what is the, what's the best, is that the website or is it uh, accinstitute.org? Give us the information and Assisi, then we'll also post it. Assisiinstitute.org. Is there a between a CC and institute? You know, I don't, have it, I don't have it in front of we'll, you. We'll have it, we'll have it on the we'll website. Have, we'll have it posted up, it. but it's, it's uh, great stuff and uh, really appreciate uh, your time and uh, wonderful. Yeah, and uh, Anybody who hasn't read Autobiography of a Yogi should read it. They should also read uh, Phil Goldberg's, uh, my hello host, uh, <laughs> uh, book, Biography of, of, of Yogananda. Yeah, and so anything his, you I could want to say, his book is a wonderful book. Phil's book is wonderful. I highly recommend it. Great. Well, thank you, Isha Das. Uh, you've made it. Uh, now we know why we invited you on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Thank no, you thanks. both very much. Both, both, we appreciate your coming on, and um, we'll be in touch. Thanks uh, again. Take blessings care. To both, blessings to both of you. Okay. Thank you.